0: Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speak meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Solis, but I am an alcoholic. Just another alcoholic. It's important that I... Uh, put that distinction out there is because uh, you know nobody has ever in AA told me get up to that podium and be wise, witty, wonderful, and well. But sometimes the self-talk that we do uh, tells us to do things like that. And I don't have to be anybody up here, but who I am. And you love me for just that. So I need to put that out there uh, for you and for God and for myself, so that we can uh, move on with the program. They they put a, a stool up here because. Um, uh, a few years ago, I broke both ankles, uh, falling off a really high place, a pair of high heels. And um, there's, there's no punchline that really happened. And, um, and then uh, the other day, I twisted it really bad. So I've got it all braced up, and hopefully I can stand through the whole thing. And then somebody's like, well, won't that be weird, like a bar stool sitting up on the stage? And I'm like, oh, yeah, an alcoholic on a bar stool. Never seen it. You know? <laughs> It's like, ladies and gentlemen, we're so lucky on this zoo tour. If you look to the right, you'll see an alcoholic in its natural habitat. Look at that gorilla. Look at that gorilla. I want to thank anybody who had anything with me being, being here up here tonight. This is so wonderful. This is a a full circle moment for me and, and hopefully by the end of uh, the speak it'll, it'll make more sense but I want to uh, start off by also saying that um, I'm one of those alcoholics that does much better and, uh, uh, with visuals so I brought a PowerPoint presentation with me tonight <laughs> and we're going to uh, project the slides right up here on this wall right here so, uh, so I'm going to uh, do my best with these slides to paint a vision for you <laughs> And uh, so we're just going to go ahead and start with the first slide. So if you see, that's the dome right there. That's the Capitol Dome, Sacramento, California. That's where I was born. I was raised. Um, You can see, at least in height order, I'm the oldest of five kids in a Mexican-American Catholic family. Uh, The woman there that's on the end with the beverage in her hand, that's my mother, the alcoholic. (laughs) I don't think that I'm an alcoholic because I grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, And that's also an important distinction. In fact, it probably hindered my coming to AA because my drinking looked nothing like my mother's, so I didn't think that I was an alcoholic. Um, I'm an alcoholic because I like the effect produced by alcohol. I like that when I introduce it into my body, there's a phenomenon of craving that occurs, and instantly my favorite three words are yours, free, and more. I want (laughs) it all. And so, um, so, yeah, so I don't think I'm an alcoholic because I grew up in an alcoholic home. And Sacramento was a great place to grow up and be from. Um, so we'll just move on. That's me in high school. Um, and I'll just be rigorously honest at this point and tell you that I took advantage of Photoshop with that. I did not have pigtails, and I was not the head cheerleader of Del Campo High School, class of 1981. <laughs> but I wanted to be. Um, I, I will show you the real picture. Okay, those are, those are my feet sticking out of that trash can. That's me getting stuffed into a locker. Me running from an angry crowd. If, if you were as gay as I was gay in high school in the early 80s, late 70s, uh, you, you had problems. I mean, uh, being, ha- having effeminate characteristics was not a, a bonus. And so um, I spent most of my time trying to get from class to class without getting pummeled. And, um... So uh, that was a challenge. I, as I neared graduation, I had my very first drink of alcohol, and it coincided with my first gay date. That's Brian, captain of the wrestling team. I love that little singlet he's wearing. Um, LAUGHTER so I used to work in this mom-pop grocery store, and he kept coming through my line. And he was, like, really one of the popular guys, you know. He's he the captain of the wrestling team, and everybody liked him. And he kept trying to convince me to go to this party with him. And, you know, I kept saying no. And he would come back through the next day, and I'd say no again. I mean, because I'd seen that movie, Carrie. I <laughs> I knew there was a bucket of blood in my future, and I was like, no, thank you. And so... Uh, but eventually I conceded, and, uh, and as it turns out, um, you know, uh, I spent the rest of the week freaking out, because I thought, did he just ask me out on a date? And it turned out that's what happened. So we went to this party with all these popular kids, and somebody handed me my very first beverage. And so this was my higher power before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. That, that uh, beverage in that glass uh, was Bacardi 151. And so... I know. So when I, I took that shot, uh, you know, like, I coughed, I gagged, um, I think snot ran from my nose, my eyes watered. It wasn't pretty. But, you know, that kind of follows most of our drinking. It's just not pretty. And, uh, um, but what happened, the miracle happened from that first drink. I was talking to people, and they were talking back. I was laughing with people, and they were laughing back, and that had never, ever happened to me. Ever, right? And so I fell in love from that very first time. What also happened from that very first time is I overshot the mark. I went into a blackout the very first time. And so I'll summarize my drinking for you in just a few steps. I drink, I laugh, people laugh with me. I love you. No, I really love you. And then uh at some point I cross over the line into blackout, and then all of a sudden, I don't love you. Wait a minute. You don't love me. Nobody loves me. Oh my God. And then I want to fight people that I don't even know. And then I always shoot to I want to die. And for I want to die, what that looked like for me, what it looked like for me that night was laying in the middle of the road. I laid in the middle of the road because I thought I, I was going to pass out and get run over by a car because that just seemed like an easy way to go. So there's me laying in the middle of the road. And this carried on into my drinking. So there's me on Highway 50 Laying in the middle of the road Me on Folsom Boulevard In front of Bojangles Laying in the middle of the road So I graduated from high school And I went to my first gay bar Ugh. 20th and J The rec room It was a scary bar Peanut shells on the floor They had a dark room in the back It was one of those bars That you need a drink To go in and have a drink It's so scary I loved it and, you know, like that cheer song, you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name? I loved it there because I'd walk in and people would be like, oh, my God, so is here. The party has started. You know? The problem is that alcoholism is a progressive disease. And progressively, my, rep- my reception got less enthusiastic. You know? Uh, so people would be like, oh, here she comes. Here she comes. Hang on to your drinks, your drugs, your wallets, and your husbands. Here she comes. I did say drugs. I will uh, point out that I have respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. singleness of purpose. And what you need to know is that I'm going to be talking about alcoholism up here. But I don't care if alcohol for you came in leafy form, pill, powder, syringe. For me, a drink is a drink is a drink. And I loved alcohol. But I also loved me some lumpy alcohol. So (laughs) loved me some lumpy alcohol because I got introduced to lumpy alcohol and it helped me drink more of the liquid alcohol. And I could go longer without getting to that point where I wanted to lay in the middle of the street. And so... um, So, progressively, I realized I had a problem. The rec room. The rec room was the problem. I needed to find a new bar. So I went over to... This lovely little place called Bojangles, which is sort of a twink bar. And I was, you know, like seven, or no, 18, I think, at the time. And so I'm, you know, doing my bit, dancing on a speaker, you know. People trying to, uh, you know, stuff dollars at me. I'm like, no, girl, Laura Branigan's on. Leave me alone, you know. And uh, <laughs> so I wasn't a very good go-go boy. And, um, and still my problems persisted. And so I really had to take a hard look at myself and examine myself to find out what this problem was. The problem, the Capitol Dome of Sacramento. Sacramento was the problem. (laughs) If I could get my alcohol and my lumpy alcohol on somewhere else, everything would be great. I had no solution. I had no job at the time. I had no education. I didn't know what I was going to do. So that's me in a military outfit. I joined the United States Navy. (laughs) Now this This follows uh, my line of thinking. Solve one problem, create ten more. (laughs) Because I still had those effeminate characteristics that I brought with me to the United States Navy. So, here's some pictures. There's me marching up and down the field with the flag. There's me waving a baton, or waving a rifle like it is the last baton on Earth. Because I joined the color guard, and girl, I got to be the cheerleader I always wanted to be in the United States Navy. And I went to exciting destinations. There's Orlando, Florida, Meridian, Mississippi, Detroit, Michigan. You know, join the Navy Sea of the World. And, uh, and the problems persisted and they followed me wherever I went. I found a bar, Tiffany's in Detroit, that was exactly like the rec room. Same people, same problems, same drama, nothing changed. Uh, The Navy had a problem with my drinking. Uh, There's very few things that I know, know in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have the conviction of knowing, but I do know this. If the Navy says you're an alcoholic, you probably are. (laughs) Because girl, you've got to be a high achiever to stand out in that crowd. I mean, really, <laughs> really. And so, but here's, here's the depth of my denial. The depth of my denial is I think they must know that I'm gay and they're trying to get me out based on this drinking thing. So I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I came to my alcoholic, first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, which was easy for me because I did not think I was an alcoholic. So the Navy sent me to level one rehab because I could not make it to work on time. And so uh, I'm sitting in these outpatient you know, therapy groups and they asked me, you know, why do you think you're here? And I was like, uh, I'm here because I have back problems. <laughs> Namely, everybody's on it. If they would get off it, I would be just fine. <laughs> I thought, my chief petty officer has it out for me. You know, I'm not an alcoholic. And, uh, but my problems with tardiness persisted. and. Um, and so uh, one particular day, I was late yet again, and my chief petty officer was waiting for me in the, in the parking lot. And he said, why are you late today? Because I had a different excuse every day. And I said, well, I had a blown tire on the way to work. And I thought, oh, my God, Salise, that is such a great lie. You're really good at this because, wow, you look like you just changed the tire. My, I slept in my uniform, you know, so I was all disheveled. And he's like, really? Wow, that's tragic. Open up your trunk. I want to see your blown tire. Yeah, exactly. My (laughs) heart just fell into my stomach, and so we opened up my trunk, and there it is, a blown tire. I'm a procrastinating alcoholic. I had like a blowout a year earlier. I never got it fixed. (laughs) The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about how we will not be able to recall this pain and suffering of just a few months or weeks ago. Mine lasts seven and a half hours. Because from that morning conversation in that parking lot, all day long, I kept thinking I cannot be late tomorrow. Like maybe I can be late next week, maybe I can be late next month, but I cannot be late tomorrow. In fact, I'm going to be early. I'm going to be the first one here. I'm going to show him how dedicated I am that I'm going to be here. And that's why when I leave here in just five minutes, I'm going to stop by the bar and I'm just going to have one drink. That's it. (laughs) And I want you to know that when those lights came up at 2 a.m., I honestly, in all honesty, did not know how that happened. I remember I had one drink, and then I remember somebody offered to buy me a drink. And I don't know about you, but there's a difference between giving up booze and giving up free booze. So... (laughs) I was driving home in uh, snowy conditions, too fast for Michigan uh, roads, and I hit the button on the garage door, and uh, my car went into a skid. And so um, I held on to the wheel. I closed my eyes. Uh, When I came to a stop, this is what it looked like. That's my car in the garage, perfectly sideways. Like, not this much room on either side. And I know. Right. And so, you know, I'm the Scarlett O'Hara of drinking. I'm like, oh, tomorrow's another day. I'll deal with it tomorrow. I can never deal with it right now. Never. And so uh, I get up the next morning. I come out to my car and I'm like, oh, my God. This is a great excuse. Nobody has ever used this one. And so. So I call my chief petty officer. And he says, you're going to level two rehab. Uh, so I'm going to meetings in alcohol, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm confined to base, so I'm going to the meetings on base, which aren't very anonymous. And, uh, <laughs> right? It was around this time that I got arrested. I got arrested in, in uh, by uh, the Naval Investigative Service, and I was charged with homosexuality. I know, right? <laughs> God. Girl, if I had been wearing pearls that day, I would have been forced to clutch them because I could not believe they had just arrested me. So I'm going through this interrogation process where they make me take off my clothes to show that I'm not wearing women's underwear, and thank God that day I wasn't. And, <laughs> and they present me with this evidence, which is these interviews that they've been having with my shipmates. Um, and much of what was written in those reports was things that I had said in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous on base. Oh. And I want you to know that it was right then, at that moment, that I um, declared in my head and my heart that I hated Alcoholics Anonymous, that what we talked about was rigorous honesty and trust, and I didn't have any of those things for AA any longer, and, uh, which made it really challenging. But I did get through that process. and. I was sitting with my alcohol and drug counselor, and he said, no, you have to go to the meetings, and you have to get this card signed off. And I said, meetings? Any meetings? He said, yes, any meetings. I said, okay, great. So I marched myself across the hall to another 12-step program, because I wasn't going to go to AA. So I went to one that uh, sole purpose is to uh, help people who can no longer control and enjoy their alcoholics, which was great. (laughs) Because, you know... I had my mother, she was a qualifier, so I went to that other program, right? Which is kind of hard, because, you know, I'm trying to do these 12 steps and drink my red wine at the same time, and um, it just wasn't working. It wasn't working. You know, more than any other, the alcoholic leads a double life. If I had just two, two lives, maybe I could have made it but i was adding these lives like plates juggling in the air. You know, during the day i'm part of this weapons load team and we're spending our time with a stopwatch trying to load the ordnance onto this aircraft and get that time down as quick as we can and as soon as it's over i got a rush cuz i'm a drag performer downtown in detroit and i got to get my mascara on and i cannot let these two groups know each other. I cannot even talk to each group about the other. I forgot what lie I told this one and what lie I told that one. And the problem with that is that it takes two lies to cover up one, four to cover up two, eight to cover up four, 16 to cover up eight, ad infinitum. One could easily lose themselves, right? In the second step, we talk about insanity. Insanity for me was no longer being able to reconcile my incongruent life. It made no sense even to me any longer, right? And so I ended up coming into AA. How I got here was I got some recovery in that other 12-step program. I got asked to be a speaker for that program at an AA conference with this other program's participation. (laughs) Toronto Gratitude 1987. So I got asked to go to Canada to tell my story. And so first time telling my story at a conference, very scared, didn't know what I was going to say, didn't know what I was going to do. So I did the natural thing. I stopped at the bar and got a beverage. And so I'm sitting up on the dais because they had the speakers up on a a stage like this. And I'm sitting next to the alcoholic because I'm the on speaker and I'm going to speak first. And so uh, she leans over and she goes, (sniffs) (laughs) oh, is that tequila? And I leaned back and I said, oh, is that jealousy? <laughs> now I want to tell you how God works in my life. I want to tell you how God works in my life. Because the AA speaker that night was from Sacramento, California. I'm living in Detroit, Michigan. We're both in Toronto, Canada. And her name is Grady o- Yes, some of you remember her. <laughs> Love her. The most mean, foul-mouthed, in-your-face lesbian you have ever met in your life, and I've just asked her if she's jealous. And so she just chuckled, and she said, after I sat down, she said, didn't you say that you were getting orders to California? And I said, I did. And she goes, when you come to Sacramento, make sure you swing by the North Hall Group of Alcoholics Anonymous because we're saving a seat for you. Yeah. And I knew what that meant. <laughs> it meant the gig was up, that I could no longer lead these double lives, even in recovering. And so uh, my last drink was the same as my first drink. I won't go into it anymore. Uh, just, you know, more blackouts, more drama. And uh, so the first AA meeting, uh, January 1st, 1988, I uh, walked in on a Tuesday night. To the North Hall group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Sacramento, California, and the format of that meeting that night was an ask it basket. So they had a panel of old timers who sat up in front and God Grady O sitting right up there. And I said, My name is Solise, I'm an alcoholic, and she said, Okay, you can shut the F up now. You just told us everything you know, you don't know no more. again, the pearls, clutch them. Did she just flunk out of uh, finishing school? What kind of place is this? And they talk to people that way? And I was getting ready to leave. Because I did not want to stay. And here's where I need to draw a distinction of something that I learned very early in Alcoholics Anonymous. Wanting to and willingness are not the same thing. Right? There's a lot of things that were asked of me when I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous that I did not want to do. The question is, are you willing? My home group is the Any Links group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Austin, Texas. If you ever find yourself in Austin, Texas, uh, any night of the week at 10 PM, I hope you're willing to go to Any Links. And I love the name of our group because it reminds me of the links that I'm willing to go to to stay sober. And that is in perpetuity. Regardless of how much time you have, you, I must remain, maintain my willingness to go to Any Links. And so, um, I got orders to San Jose, California. Yes, if there was a a music theme, it maybe would be Dionne Warwick singing. I loved San Jose. Is there any people from San Jose here tonight? Thank you. You all saved my life, really. it was an amazing journey going to San Jose because I got a sponsor, and my sponsor was one of those people who just would not let me sit on the sidelines. I just wanted to sit on the sidelines. So he'd say things like, oh, we're going to go to Denny's on First Street after the meeting tonight. And I'd be like, oh, i got to work really early in the morning. He'd be like, that's great. I'll see you there. I'm saving you a seat right next to me. LAUGHTER And those San Jose people, they were so about fellowship. So they'd be like, oh, don't forget, Saturday we're going to go play sober frisbee. And um, Sunday we're going for a sober bike ride. And next weekend we're going to play sober volleyball. And I'm like, what the hell is sober volleyball? (laughs) He's like, we're going to play volleyball and we're not going to drink. You know, and I want to tell you, the next week when I was making my serve, I was like, wait a minute, I've never done this. I've never played volleyball without drinking. This was all new to me but I still hated Alcoholics Anonymous. So I still had challenges. You know, uh, I had my, um, well... (laughs) This is a cookie. That cookie represents a conversation I had early in recovery because I decided what I really needed was a relationship. That would fix everything. So I went to my sponsor. I said, I'm ready for a relationship. He said, oh, really? (laughs) Because, you know, that's how it works. And... um, he said, you got that 30-day chip yet? I'm like, almost, don't hate. <laughs> he said, it's like this. God is baking the perfect cookie for you in the form of a man, and he'll be ready at the right time, and he'll be presented to you at the right place under the right circumstances. But in the meantime, it's your, it's your responsibility to practice patience. So I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> So 60 days goes, 90-day chip goes, and I'm like, where's my effing cookie? (laughs) I'm starting to feel like this is not the truth. And he said, well, I'm like, what do you mean, well? (laughs) And he opened up the book, and he brought it to the part where it talks about we have an inability to form a true partnership with another human being. And again, my heart sank into my stomach. I was like, are you saying that I'll never have a relationship? He's like, no, sweetie, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our problem, right? And unless we deal with that, any relationship is doomed. Doomed. To failure. Because you see, God is not a pimp. He does not deliver men onto man like Domino's pizza. And somewhere along the way, you forgot that this is the lifeboat, not the love boat. <laughs> that we're here to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, not to find holy matrimony. <laughs> and he said, here's the deal. Because of your selfishness and self-centeredness, you've been jumping up and down in front of that oven door asking when, 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 when it hasn't even occurred to you that it's getting hot in here because maybe you're the one in the oven. Maybe you're the cookie. <gasps> what? I'm still finding his cookie? <laughs> so either that cookie will present it to you at the perfect place, and the perfect time, under the perfect circumstances, or God will see to it that you're okay without him. Mm-hmm. That you can live a useful and purposeful life, which is really the whole deal here, with or without Mr. Him. And that also had never occurred to me. And so I continued through my steps in recovery, and it was about 18 months that I hit my second bottom in in sobriety. Um, I came to a point where the anger just overtook me, and I could no longer function. So uh, I was uh, in Men and Women Together of Alcoholics Anonymous on Monday night on the Third Street in Church in, in San Jose, and... Uh, They called on me, and I walked up to the podium. They have a microphone like this. This It's a big meeting. And I said, my name's Solis. I'm an alcoholic. This is my last meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. (laughs) And and people chuckled. And I was like, no, for reals. Like, I'm telling you the truth. Because I don't want to be one of those people that y'all talk about at Denny's. Like, whatever happened to Solis? I'm telling you right now, I'm leaving. But before I do, I'm going to tell you why. (laughs) And I went down the road. I said, You talk about service. I have never even seen you pick up a coffee cup. And you, you talk about the greeting the newcomers. You know you're talking about the pretty ones. I've never seen you shake the hand of an ugly one. <laughs> I kept going down the line until I got down to poor Doug H. And I ran out of things to say. So I simply said, Your hair is so perfect, you carry the message of good grooming. <laughs> I think that if, I think you're a bunch of sheep. If one of you walked off the cliff, the rest of you would follow. And I'm not following. Good night. If you've ever been to meetings in San Jose, you know that the uh, format of the meeting is that when you finish sharing, they clap. (laughs) And that night they cheered. The row that we lovingly call the bad sister section gave me a standing ovation. I sat down and I started crying because... I had hit you with both barrels. I unloaded the last of my ammunition, and really what I wanted you to do was push me away and say, you really are too sick for us. No, you can't stay. But that didn't happen. That night after the meeting, people gave me tighter hugs than they'd ever given me. My sponsor said, so we're a bunch of effing sheep, huh? (laughs) Keep coming back. He said, I'm going, to help you. I'm going to help you with your own analogy. If we really are a bunch of sheep and the wolf is represented by the alcohol, which one do you think he's going to pick off? That will be the one that's dancing far away from the flock as he can get without getting caught, and that's been you for the last 18 months. I suggest you plant your ass in the center of Alcoholics Anonymous where it's safest. And I heard him. I mean, I really heard him for the first time. I stopped calling the 12 steps that were on the wall, the pool rules, I found a willingness that I didn't have before and my life changed and then it happened at the men's freedom group on Thursday night the cookie walked into the room My AA assignment was to ask somebody out in AA. And this happened because I used to ask people who were drinking and using out all the time. I couldn't. And he said, my sponsor said, why don't you ask somebody who's sober? I was like, an alcoholic? Isn't that like shopping in the irregular section? And I only asked that because my history was that, you know, when you break up, somebody's got to move to a new state. And I like my home group. I don't want to leave. So I went up, or I was on my way to ask him out, and my sponsee, Steve, got in my way, and he's like, oh my gosh, have you met Rob, who just moved from Ohio with 89 days? I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so I sat down, and my sponsor said, did you ask him? And I said, no. He said, why? And I said, well, he's got like 89 days. He goes, did you not understand the assignment? I didn't say go find somebody in AA to have sex with. I said, go out on a date. Do you not know what a date is? And I was like, maybe I don't. He said... A date is merely gathering information. You take somebody to coffee, maybe to lunch, and you ask them questions. Hopefully they ask you questions back. At the end of the date, you each go home to your respective residences, a point you always seem to forget. (laughs) You wake up the next morning in your prayer and meditation. You ask God, did I gather enough information? And one or two answers will come back. Either I gather more information than I ever wanted. <laughs> or I need more information. And it said, either way, you pick up the phone, you call the person, and you say, that was a lovely time. Thank you so much. I'm glad I made a new friend in AA. I will see you around. You've left no ambiguity about where you stand. Or you say, that was wonderful. I had a really good time. Could we perhaps do that again next week? You wait a whole week to go by. Because we're compulsive, impulsive people. I want more now. Now. <laughs> He said, you repeat that cycle ad infinitum, and something organic will happen, or it won't. But either way, it's not up to you. And so I went out on that date. I have to tell you, it was the worst date i have ever been on. <laughs> but mostly, that was my fault. We went to a movie, and you can't really gather information at a movie. <laughs> but on the way home, we went to a restaurant for coffee and Um, We had nothing in common, nothing. Every time we tried to start a conversation, it went nowhere. He was part of one political party, and I was part of another. He was a vegetarian. I was a carnivore. Uh, You know, I liked cars. He liked art. Uh, He was trying to perfect a particular watercolor technique, and I was trying to get my marksman ribbon in the Navy. I mean, we just had nothing. But what happened that night was magical, because when he talked about art, when he talked about watercolors, Something came alive in his face and his eyes, and he had passion. And that was the sexiest thing I had ever seen in my life because I was sober enough to witness and recognize it for what it was. I discovered somebody who was passionate about something. People had lots of opinions when we walked into the men's freedom group, you know, weeks later, you know, holding hands. Like, ooh, ooh. (laughs) My sponsor said, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is full of opinions. And he lovingly pointed out, you know, that, that we have a particular page that talks about this. Page 68 and 69. It says, God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with others, persons, is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. So he said, you know, there will be people in Alcoholics Anonymous who will tell you how to have a successful relationship as they're on their way to divorce court. There's people who will tell you how to manage their finances as they file for bankruptcy for the third time. This is a program of action. Show me what you do. Don't tell me what you think. And I have tried to live by that for the 26 years that I've been sober. Anything I do is far more a demonstration of spiritual principles than anything I say. And so... That has been my edict to try and live by. And so, and I'm so glad that I didn't listen to those folks because last week, a week ago, yesterday, I was in a courtroom. And this time I wasn't being called the defendant. This time, the judge was asking Do you take this cookie to be your lawfully wedded husband? And you need to know that um, in 25 years, I have not always been easy to live with. I've not always been uh, my best behavior, and that cookie has not crumbled. And that's been God. That's not been me. Because people ask me, like, 25 years? Girl, really? Because, you know, gay relationship years are like dog years. That's a long time, right? (laughs) And so they're like, how do you do it? I'm like, it takes more patience than you could possibly imagine, more tolerance than you could possibly hope for, more love and understanding than you can dream of. So that's why you will have to ask Rob how he does it. I don't know. I mean, because <laughs> I'm hell on wheels. That has never changed. Um, I also want to talk just a moment about uh, my transition to another Capitol Dome, Texas. I went to Austin to go to a sober gay AA conference and fell in love. I came home. I said, "We're moving to Texas." Rob says, "Over my dead body!" <laughs> but he said the same thing when I suggested we moved from San Jose to Sacramento. So, I knew it didn't mean much. And so, <laughs> we went to Texas. We had a great time. We fell in love, and we found ourselves in Austin, Texas. And um, but it was different. It was a change. It's not the same, you know. I'm from lovely. Fruits and Nuts, Warm and Fuzzy, Northern California, and Austin is not, anywhere in Texas is not like that. They're much more plain spoken and direct, and I was not prepared for that. So in my very first meeting where I had somebody come up and share uh, with me after a meeting that they did not like me, and then went down a list of reasons why they did not like me, and, you know, it was a lengthy list. Um, <laughs> included calling me everything but a child of God, because, you know, they never call you a child of God. And so I cried. I went home and I cried because I didn't know what to do. Like, what do you do with that? I don't want to say, I'm sorry, because that didn't sound right. I certainly don't want to say, thank you for sharing, because that didn't sound right. (laughs) And I called my sponsor, who uh, at the time was just sort of a very, you know, uh, slow-speaking West Texan. And he said, well... And this may be shocking to Californians, but the suggestion he gave me was actually, it's helped me a lot. He said, it sounds like he don't want to have a conversation with you. (laughs) And you certainly don't have to have a conversation with anybody who doesn't want to have a conversation with you. It's okay to walk away. So your AA assignment is to not have a conversation with this person if he tries to engage you again. So you may say three words, because anything more than three words is a conversation. And it doesn't take more than three words to say, leave me alone, or just go away. You can even get away with F off and die if you hyphenate F off. <laughs> oh, my delicate sensibilities. He said, You know why he hates you? And I was like, No, I really don't. He said, You want to know why? I was like, I really do. He's like, You come here from Sacramento, California, and in four weeks, you have a sponsor. You have a service commitment. You have a home group that already loves you. You're involved. People like you. They invite you to parties. And this guy has been struggling for seven years and alcoholics. He's mean, he's nasty. He's got a bad attitude. And you make this shit look easy. He said, pull out your chip to thine own self. Be true. Who else are you going to be? You're going to give up your service commitments You're going to stop being nice to people because he doesn't approve? It doesn't say to thine own self be true with an asterisk unless so-and-so doesn't like you. (laughs) We get to spend our recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous learning what it is to be true to ourselves at whatever cost that is. Because we got nobody else to be. And I have to live up to that. I've been practicing in the last few years the concept of the meaning of the word enough. I'm an alcoholic. It's not a word that's in my vocabulary. (laughs) And because I want to know the meaning of the word enough, amazing things have happened. All of a sudden, my life has taken on new meaning. All of a sudden, the job I have is enough. The house I live in is enough. You know, Because what we're asked to do is to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And nowhere in that concept does it matter what zip code I live in what the title is on my business card, what the emblem is on the hood of my car, or how many zeros or where the comma is in my savings account. None of that matters. Good God, I hope the day I die, they don't say, God, he was a really good office manager. (laughs) Wow. And have you ever seen a car like that? That car was nice. (laughs) I have to ask myself, what am I doing to fulfill my primary purpose? If I am sober and I'm helping other alcoholics to achieve sobriety, I am a success today. Nothing else, no other measurement matters. And that is what I need to keep in mind. I want to share with you um, an amazing ninth step experience I had. Um, This was uh, actually an amends that was made to me. And uh, so, I'm, my mother still lives in Sacramento, and eventually she found Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, so, we're on a, a long drive, and we're driving from Sacramento. And by the time we get to Stockton, she says, I got something to tell you, but I can't tell you now. And she starts crying because she's had this stroke and she has very little control over her emotions. We get to about Modesto, she's like, I think I'm ready to tell you. No, I'm not ready to tell you. She starts crying. <laughs> we get to about Turlock, and she says, Okay. There's this thing in AA called an amends, and I believe I owe you one. She said, I want you to know that I know that I spent all my time in the bar drinking, and that I relied on you to raise you know, your brothers and sisters, and I robbed you of a childhood. She said, I don't know how to make restitution for that. How do you give somebody their childhood back? She said, but what I want you to know is that I would atone for that any way I could. So I need you to tell me what I can do to make that right. And I had both hands on the wheel. And a tear came to my eye, but it went away just as quick as it came. Because I turned to her and I said, it's all right, mom. It's all right. And here's the miracle that is Alcoholics Anonymous. I meant it. See, because we'd rehearsed that conversation a thousand times in my head. All the time I was growing up. I had that conversation in my head and in my version, you know, I did my best Betty Davis. I turned to her and exhaled on my cigarette and I don't even smoke. I said, like, you're goddamn right. You're sorry. <laughs> but from the time that I rehearsed that in my head to the time that it actually happened, the miracle of recovery has taken place, Right because the promises have come true in my life, and what I've gotten to see is I do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I will see how those experiences can benefit others. That means every experience that I've ever had and I've wanted to label bad, ugly, actually has purpose today. When that newcomer comes walking in the room, dragging their ass behind them, I know what that is because I've had those experiences. If I hadn't had those experiences, if I'd had the perfect life, I wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't need God, and I wouldn't need you. And I need those things today, and I love those things today. Those are the things that make my life today. So I love those experiences even if they were not pleasant to walk through because they have a purpose today. And so I'm grateful, and I was grateful to her in that moment. And when I said it's okay, I meant it because those things... Those experiences make me who I am today, and I love who I am today. I want to tell you that this is a full-circle moment for me. You read your mission statement at the beginning of the meeting, and I came to this conference when I had like six months of sobriety in 1988, and I was astounded because I'd only ever seen Michigan recovery, and I didn't know there was this many gay sober people could be crammed into one Bill Graham auditorium. And I've heard, you know, conversations about how this conference is growing and changing or shrinking and changing or changing. And what you need to know is that what what we have in this room is very special. The original gay sober conference is a beacon to so many people. Whether you know that or not, it holds purpose for all of us because it is the template that so many conferences across the country have used. Yes, there are now conferences all over the place. But that's because of living sober. Because you have all. You have all shown us what was possible. And that very first gay pride in San Francisco, marching behind that banner, 2468, we remember who we date. meant so much to me, you know. We brought a newcomer with us, Mr. Matt, who's got eight months of sobriety and is here at 19 years old for the first time in San Francisco. And don't lose this. This is a miracle. So when that man says that there's a place out there for you to sign up, don't ask myself, do I want to? Am I willing? Because wanting to and willingness are not the same thing. And I have an obligation to the people that follow me to give them the same gift that was given to me so freely and with so much love, right? I owe those people in San Jose. I certainly owe those people in Sacramento. And now I owe the people in Austin. So I'm going to wrap up in advance of getting my signs (laughs) by saying this has been an incredible opportunity for you to come and ask me to speak at this conference, this conference, because this conference means so much to me. And you mean so much to me. And I love you, and I thank you. I'm going to close with a a prayer that that EDC, Sacramento of the North Hall Group, always says. And that is, God, I am not always what I want to be. And there are days when I'm not what I could be or what I should be. But thank you, God, that I am not what I used to be.